0: welcome back to the podcast where we yearly um pray on the pittsburgh Riverhounds' downfall only to be proven wrong time and time again that's right we're back with usla i am
1: ben and of course we're back with noah yep good to be back uh you know, so he also sent me a a picture that the the lights followed the the page on on Twitter. So, um, you know, I think it's confirmation as well that they had to have listened to the episode where I absolutely dissed the saying that I had been on episodes more consistently than the lights had signed players. So, um, you know, bravo Las Vegas. Um, you know, we appreciate you for tuning in. If if that's the case, um, if not um good thing you're actually good thing good thing you're actually yeah good thing you're actually giving your fans something to look forward to in that sense with the signings yeah that has been a very uh bright point
0: this offseason um coinciding i think i think they both coincide the more that we have you on the more players that the las vegas Lights sign i i think i think that is scientifically accurate i think that is data backed. we can prove that
1: yeah, it's it's the it's the absolute only thing that makes sense. So, like, I mean, every I guess I should just dis Las Vegas every episode now for their fans to yeah. you know get new get new signing announcements. Um, it's but, tough luck. Hey, I mean, I must say as well, like Vegas actually made some decent signings, and they're putting together an okay roster. Um, I would say it, more it, it than was, okay. Yeah, I'd say a respectable roster. That like, if you go, if you go to Summerlin, they're gonna give you a game. Uh, I mean, they gave you a game last season, sort of, but you kind of always knew in the back of your mind as a fan, it's like, oh, they're going to bottle it somehow, you know, kind of the game where which we played against them and the game they played against Tampa Bay. It's like, oh, it's only 1-1? Yeah, surely Tampa Bay or Monterey Bay are going to go out and score another goal. So, um, yeah, Vegas as always. Big Las Vegas Lights fans over
0: here. We also have more big news. Um I put it out there, but recently we hit our first episode with over 100 listens, which is absolutely huge. Obviously, as we continue to grow here and get more into the game, that is just massively appreciated. We appreciate all of you, everyone who listens, everyone who's been on the podcast. Of course, um, it's it's been an absolutely great time, and we're like I said, we had a goal of hitting 10k listeners by the end of the year, and if we stay on the track of releasing these episodes which has been going great and hopefully we'll continue um and continue to get a support. i don't see how that isn't broken uh that milestone isn't broken by a country mile to be honest come the end of the year so we're really looking forward to that Uh, and we'll jump in obviously last week no episode bit disappointing we now have some uh fail-safes in case that does happen again, but we're going to start off with something that we were supposed to hit on last week, of course, and that is, as we all know, the U.S. Open Cup being held hostage, it seems, by MLS. It looks like there is a um, decision like set in stone where MLS will only contribute eight teams out of their 29-team pool to participate in the U.S. Open Cup. And I just have to say that that is a total disgrace. Um, of course, MLS is coming at this at the point that they have too much uh, fixture congestion throughout the season. Uh, my one thing to say about that is that they made their own goddamn fixture congestion. Um, Leagues Cup is a bit of a kind of it's it's a glorified friendly competition,
1: if I have to say so myself. Uh, Leagues Leagues Cup is the Bristol Street Motors Cup of uh, the U.S.
0: It is. It really feels like it. I mean, I know you get a CONCACAF Champions Cup spot from it, but what does that do to the CONCACAF Champions Cup then? You know, you're kind of losing the whole point. I know that U.S. and Mexican teams mostly dominate um, CCC either way, but when you have a competition where you are continuously playing against opposition that you would play in CCC kind of brings it down there's one kind of silver lining here Um, this does make it easier for USL teams to win the US Open Cup which would be a phenomenal sight in this day and age where there's such a gap between MLS and US uh, USL and of course we've seen US we saw Sacramento Republic in 2022 make it all the way to the final outclassed on the day That was a disappointment. And while it was still fun, this gives us an opportunity to actually see USL teams get to that high point. You know, it gives USL teams another opportunity at a trophy more so than it did a couple years ago. You know, it was really just USL championship final. That's it. Now they have another look in at the Open Cup. This is kind of my way of, you know, I'm in denial. (laughs) I was <laughs> like, you know, USL. We need a little bit of hope going forward. Now that MLS is kind of, um, not I, I said taking hostage, but they are just refusing, based off of the US Soccer laws, um, to participate in a competition in which all teams have to participate. Really.
1: Yeah, absolutely agreed. Um. I think the way I look at it, honestly, is, like, if if you are not playing CONCACAF Champions League, right, and then, I don't know, like, League's Cup is just League's Cup. You're going to be in it regardless uh, whether you get out of the first round or not. But if you—and I guess there is a lot of uncertainty with this, potentially—but if you don't have CONCACAF Champions uh, to start the season— you should just automatically be put in the the U.S. Open Cup because yeah. you don't have as much fixture con- congestion. Not to mention, League's Cup happens later on in the season regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of just from the logical perspective in terms of fixture congestion, it doesn't necessarily add up in, in that aspect for MLS. But... The one thing I will say is, there there is a problem for the teams who have Concacaf Champions League, and it kind of happened a lot with LAFC last season. Um, they, I mean, they kind of whined and moaned and complained about it. To be fair, but you know, it does you know put a lot of stress and strain on players. But the problem is as well, you have to travel great lengths and distances for these games. Not to mention you're making cross-country trips across the US. Mm-hmm. So again, MLS has basically dug its own grave with the big conferences and the the fact that you're gonna have to go and play teams on the East Coast or the West Coast, depending on which conference you're in. So from from that aspect as well, MLS did not think this through one bit whatsoever. And then people are pissed about it because they view it as the real cup, the the real deal, uh as as opposed to the well, I'll go, I'll come out and say it, the tin pot uh cup that is the League's Cup. I mean, they have good teams, of course, but it's, you know, it's it is the Bristol Street Motors Cup of, you know, North America.
0: Yeah. When you're looking at it in terms like The U.S. Open Cup goes farther back, way farther back than MLS. It goes, obviously, way farther back than League's Cup. And when you're creating this competition where you, I mean, this is, this has been something that MLS has definitely been thinking about for more than a year, more than a couple months. This is a calculated approach at how they can get out of a competition that doesn't quite make them money yet. And their solution to that is that like, oh, we made this new competition that only we get to participate in. And uh, you guys can just go on and do whatever you want to do. And of course, part of that is now uh, MLS has been looking um, at kind of obviously MLS doesn't operate the US Open Cup, um, but they have been in contact about trying to um, terminate or remove the um CONCACAF Champions Cup position that you get from the U.S. Open Cup which when you look at this in like a broad way and you don't actually get down into it you can be just like well MLS you know is prioritizing prioritizing themselves you know they're going after what is going to just get get them through the season they're looking after the players not necessarily um, if they wanted to look after players, they would expand roster sizes and the salary cap. As we all know, if they wanted to look after players, they wouldn't play on completely turf surfaces. That'd be a big start. There are so many ways that they could actually um, like move forward in terms of player development and league development. But their one answer is like, let's get rid of the way that lower league teams can interact with MLS teams and expect nobody to get upset about it. Which is a pretty, uh, if I can put it bluntly, stupidest fuck way to go about business in terms of being the biggest um, soccer institution, soccer league in the United States, and we're just gonna, and you're just gonna be like, well, what if we just got rid of lower league soccer? Like, if you did that, that the, the ripple effect is amazing. You're gonna lose so many fans because, wow, it can be hard to admit. There are a lot of USL fans who, you know, dual, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Dual support a USL team and a MLS team. You're going to alienate all those fans. They'll go to USL easily. And now you're looking at 80% uh, full stadiums, maybe 90% probably full stadiums. Your viewership goes down. USL cannot be disregarded as just some other league. It is a foundation. It's been around a long time, uh, and it's a foundation of where MLS is now and where MLS can go. Because if MLS just decides that these fans don't mean anything, the interactions with USL teams don't mean anything, and a 100-plus-year historical cup doesn't mean anything, then what does anything mean to MLS?
1: Yeah, I think the biggest thing for... I think the biggest perspective you could give on this potentially is taking into account the FA Cup in England as well and what that means. It's kind of the and again, I kind of am gonna go back to this a lot when I'm gonna be arguing with people online about this stuff, if for some reason they favor MLS and what they're doing. Um Maidstone United, of course, losing today against Coventry City in that in the fifth round of the FA Cup. But the absolute scenes there would have been if Maidstone United went to the Coventry Building Society arena and won that game there would have been absolutely incredible. And the scenes at Cardinale Stadium last season. In which Monterey BSC defeated the San Jose Earthquakes for the first time ever in the history of Monterey Bay to be fair, we've only been around like what two seasons. Nonetheless, big game. It was incredible. And the one of the hugest aspects, one of the biggest aspects of the Open Cup in and, and whatnot, is the revenue. It's the money you get from this. Um you know that match against San Jose was I believe I want to say maybe it was third third highest attendant in Monterey City history, potentially second first even like it was a lot, not to mention the t v right the 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 t v viewership you get as well, which I saw something like um if if they want to go through with this or whatever m l s and u s l open Cup. MLS would get, like, 60% of the TV revenue Mm -hmm. from the Open Cup against the USL side, which is sucked up, kind of honestly. But regardless, that's the point I'm going to go back to. It's like the same thing if, like, Aston Villa played made stone united but then the fa cup said well uh no the lower sides can't compete and we're gonna create our own competition like the super cup or whatever and we're gonna focus on that that instead you know I, it's just it's it's ridiculous um it's a complete disgrace for um for the game it's it's disrespectful to the history of uh of the cup and I mean, Don Garber should just be ashamed of himself. Um, re- regardless of what he's done for the league over the years, making sure they didn't go bankrupt and whatever. He's in a time right now, an unprecedented time, and he should be very careful of how he goes about this.
0: Absolutely. I'll finish on one point. MLS has the opportunity. There I don't think it will ever the US Open Cup will ever get as historical or as big as the FA Cup. There's a long way to go, but they, have an, they had an opportunity to get somewhere close to that within the next couple of decades. If they tried hard enough, but they were just like, well, no, because what's going to happen we ex- when we expand to like 50 fucking teams or whatever? you know, They're going to have like a team in the middle of buttfuck nowhere, Idaho, and they're going to be like, well, they have to travel you know, to Nevada. And it's going to
1: be like, oh, I, sure, I sure hope it doesn't expand to 50 teams. <laughs> Goodness sakes. The USL would never. USL would never. The USL is a... What are they going to do? Divide it up into 13-team divisions or some shit like that?
0: Okay, I will say when it went into like the quad divisions or whatever, or into the regionals during the COVID year, I actually thoroughly enjoyed that. I thought that was pretty cool. Maybe that's just a bit of a my own opinion kind of thing, but I thought that was pretty cool. Well,
1: of course, USL was north of 30 teams once, and they had to go... Yeah, like you said, they had to go into divisions. So it's like, we've been through it.
0: We have been through it. Um, maybe we'll get back to it. I don't know. I'm a big fan. Um, we're gonna move though to games. We've kind of dogged down on MLS a little bit, gone through all the bad shit that we wanted to get through today, really. Uh no more downing, no more uh party poopers over here. We're moving on. We are still, of course, about two-ish weeks away, um, just under three-ish weeks away, I should say. Um, from opening day. How wild is that to say out loud? How wild is that to just, here in general, of course, March 9th, opening day, we want to go through some of these games. I'm going to start out. Um, there's one game that sticks out in particular to me, and that is North Carolina FC Charleston Battery. You look at, I know it's nodding at me. He's like, yeah, no shit. That's the game. <laughs> um, but it, it, this is.
1: I, I, I whispered it under my breath as you were about to say it. So I was like, yeah.
0: <laughs> there is another game that I'm looking at. Obviously I'm looking at all these games, but there's two that stand out to me. One of them is North Carolina Charleston. The story is all here. North Carolina first year back coming off of a USL league one title. They bring back a lot of the core. They bring back, most notably, players like Rafa Menzingen. I love saying his name. Um, And they make smart signings throughout the offseason. They've got a coach that they know. The tactics are there. The philosophy is there. I can only say that so many times until I will it into reality. North Carolina are primed to have a good year. Charleston bringing back a lot of pieces as well last year. Having to replace a lot of the core like focal point, though, the big one. They're taking a big leap from Augie Williams to M.D. Myers. I've stated that a lot, but that's the biggest point I see there. Also transitioning from Trey Muse to Adam Grinwissen goal. That's big. But they are still favored to be a top-tier contender this year. And this already first week feels like... A clash of teams that we could see towards the top of the Eastern Conference at the beginning of the year, to be completely honest.
1: Yeah, this is. I don't know if I'd go out on a limb and say it's a clash of the Titans necessarily, but North Carolina did win USL League One last season. And of course, while USL League One isn't like. I mean, it's. It may be a little bit of a step down from the USL Championship, but it's still extremely fun to watch still. Um, but I think, like, in, in terms of stakes, as I kind of mentioned, it Nor- it's North Carolina's first match back in the USL Championship. And then for Charleston, it's kind of the start of a new year, maybe a little bit of a different look, but you're also bringing back some players that were – key contributors. Yeah. There's a lot of players there who
0: are, you know, to that.
1: Yeah. There's, there's a lot of key contributors coming back from that team that I don't know if I'd go out on a limb and say surprised anyone, but considering they finished near the bottom in the basement of the Eastern conference, the year prior, I don't think a whole lot of people had them necessarily making the USL championship final. So I think in, in terms of that, um, it's setting up for a storybook night at Patriots. Point. It's played at Patriots Point, I believe, right? Or it's is being it being played Carrey? in Cary? North In Cary. Okay, so it's it's setting up for a, a storybook night at at Cary. Um, and yeah, I I think I would edge North Carolina. Should, just. We,
0: should we go? I think we should go through. I think we should put score lines on these. I think we should.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll put a score line on it. Um. You know, I think I'm actually gonna go for um, I'm gonna go for a two-two draw.
0: Ooh, okay. I'm
1: gonna, I'm gonna. So I think as well, potentially North Carolina could just edge it, uh, two-one. But I'm gonna go for a Diego Guti stoppage time ninety-third minute uh equalizer late. That would be the call. That this would be the call of all time right here. But oh, I, my official you. my official scoreline prediction two-two at Cary. Insider knowledge, insider knowledge.
0: He knows what's going on. <laughs> um, I do agree. I, th- I do actually think North Carolina edges this just on pure will. I think it's not a completely unbelievable thing to think that there is such thing as a, you know, like regression after a great year. I think Charleston might hit that a little bit this year. And, you know, they had some growing pains last year. I'm thinking back. To when they're top or close to the top of the Eastern Conference, and they get stomped by San Antonio 7 0 at home. Uh, I'm not saying that's gonna happen here. I just think Charleston and the nature of this league in general is that no matter how good you are, there's going to be some difficult times um, at certain points of the season. It's just how you overcome it. I think North Carolina are gonna win 2 1 over the Charleston battery, and then Charleston battery will have to try and figure out how to respond and not fall into the pit that some teams do, where it's like, you know, we start the season bad. The first couple of months are bad. Now we're heading into the dog days and we are in like 10th place. That's going to be a challenge. Charleston should overcome that easily. North Carolina also going to be on a high after a rivalry win in their first weekend. Um, I think that'd be big. And I think that's what they're going to do. I think they're raring to go. Um, I, You could kind of compare the two and think, would Charleston be after it more after a title loss as opposed to North Carolina being after um, off of a title win. I can see that argument, but I think North Carolina has the momentum coming into this game and has more energy heading into this game.
1: Yeah. I think as well with North Carolina, I feel like they have, again, they have the, the people that they're bringing back from last season who won a USO league one title and regardless of it being down a league and down a division those people still won a title they still have a star but they're pressed now so in that sense they almost have an experience in a way they kind of i i don't know if i go out on a limb and say know what it takes but i think it's um they're just such a well-rounded team and First, with Char- Char- with, to them. with with Charleston as well. I'd say they're a well-rounded team as well. But again, I I just I just think North Carolina just have that edge in a way. They have that they have that sense about them. You know, they're mm-hmm. back in this league. They deserve to be back in this league. Well, it's just time for them to go out and show people what's up. Like they're they're back. You know, so. Yeah. I'm so looking forward to it. I, it's it's going to be definitely the game of the weekend for sure.
0: One thing I'm wondering about before we uh, head to the next game is the transition period for new signings um, comparing North Carolina FC to Charleston. Obvi- both teams have massive turnover um, this offseason. Charleston, I would say, replacing about half their squad. North Carolina FC, it seems like, added a full squad almost um, amongst their new signings. So I'm wondering how that's going to be for both of them. I think North Carolina also edged that because they have a lot of their core coming back. Um, Charleston, there's a bit there, but that was, I would say, a core last year. Um, But they're bringing all new pieces at positions that are big in terms of leadership and output. Aaron Malloy, their new creative midfielder, Adam Grinwith, I already said his name. I already said MD Myers' his name as well. Two players in two key positions that are in a new team, and they have to get it right right away. That seems like a big ask, even coming off of uh, Charleston's year last year.
1: Yeah, I, I I do think as well Juan David Torres is looking pretty good this preseason, yeah, absolutely. I must say. It seems like um, a good
0: placement for Fidel Barajas.
1: Yes, absolutely um but yeah as you said md myers it, you know you're kind of asking him to fill a pretty big void you're asking a lot
0: you did score as well as as well as, as
1: well jackson conway as well yes you're asking them to fill a pretty big void in augie williams um i kind of like what they did in the sense that they went out they got two forwards and um they didn't kind of sit back and just go for the one and say, well, we can rotate if, if, if need be. Well, no, they went on and got two forwards. So that way they have multiple goal scoring threats, Um, which with Aki gone, you're going to need because you you're just going to need those extra goals in a sense. So, but yeah, I think Myers does have a whole lot of potential given he was, you know, one top of the goal best score for NYCFC top, too. top goal scorer for NYCFC too. Right. So really um, for Charleston, it, it, as you said, it's just going to be what they get out of those, out of those new guys. And if they can sustain what they did from last season.
0: Absolutely. I'm wondering what uh, game you're looking at. I think we can hit two more for this episode. What is the game you're looking at right now?
1: um i you know i would say my team (laughs) but um you know of course we don't we don't play until until the week weekday so um i would i know right uh i would probably go out and say i'm okay i just gotta expand it real quick um you know i'd i'd probably say either Sacramento or Orange, Sacramento, Orange County, or El Paso and Hartford. But I think I'm going to go with El Paso Hartford because those two sides, I think El Paso are going to be really good this season. Um, it's going to be their first season after a full season under Brian Clare. Uh, not that he was, not that he came in before um, or during the middle of the season prior to last, but it's gonna be their first season after having learned his tactics after having learned his system after having learned his philosophy um as opposed to Hartford where it's another retooling off season and you know they've done a damn good job I must say um they actually I've said it before they've they've given a damn about roster construction, which is good to see um they have a pretty competent uh front office i think uh in in terms of decision makings and and how they're trying to bring people in to build that roster for Brandon burke um and so i think for this match it's going to be i think it's going to be a little low scoring in a sense that i think team's both of the teams are going to be kind of figuring out mm-hmm. each other feeling out each other and figuring out how to get that ball up the pitch past lines and into the back of the net so i think what i'll go for i'm going to go for a hartford 2-1 win on the road
0: wow that is it's a big
1: call it's a big call but i i think i think it's brendenburg I think it's just Brendan Burke that edges it for me. I'm so high on Brendan Burke. Um, but again, he built that attack in yeah. in Colorado. And if there's anything Hartford need to do, they need to make a big statement. They
0: need to sign Haji Berry. Well, yeah, they need to sign <laughs> Haji Berry.
1: They need to complete the trifecta. But they need to make a big statement on the first match of the year, saying that they are here, and they are real, and they're not going anywhere.
0: I do think you're right in terms of that Hartford need a statement at the beginning of the season, but I don't think it would kill. Them. I don't think it would kill their season. um, If they do lose on the first day, no one's season is done.
1: There's, there's 33 more games after that.
0: Yeah, there's 33 more games, but I just spoke about, you know, some teams will get down on their luck. They're like, we didn't open up the season. Well, this team is full of talent. And you know, what are we going to do from here? And then they just continuously get, continuously get it wrong throughout the season. And you're like, how do they get here? This Brendan Burke team, Brendan Burke is not a manager that allows that. He knows how to get players into shape. He knows how to get players to buy in, which is huge. That's how you get record attacks like uh, in Galena Amo and Haji Berry. And you get one of those pieces back Um, under or in in Galena for this season, you add playmaking forwards who actually like create for each other and who actually work well. I think Enosh Mushigalusa slots in really well here Romario Williams is familiar at least a little bit with the switchback system. And then you have other players, you know, just even going back, Marlon Hairston has been one of the players I've been the highest on his signing. I think as a play-breaking CDM, um, he's going to be fantastic. Not the best at getting the uh, the ball forward, but you know, uh, that will come a little bit just with playing games. He'll get a little, little bit more adventurous. And I'm also looking at Anderson Asiadu out of the Birmingham Legion. Uh, and Jay Chapman, also a product uh, recently of the switchbacks uh, system. I feel like it all comes together here, but I think it's all coming together a bit too quickly. And I'm by no means saying, I think Brennan Burke is a better tactical manager um, than Brian Farhout. But I also think that Farhout has everything instated already, has um, quite a few returning players who know him well, and who probably if they stayed, if they didn't want to go, if they were offered contract extensions or, you know, just were even in contract. But it's very easily to... Um, you know, make a move uh, in the United States. The fact that players stayed, the fact that it seems like he got what he wanted this offseason, uh, which was a big over. You get players like Jamali White, Tony Alfaro, uh, Tumi Bonnie Mondo Moreno from New Mexico United, your rivals, that's huge. And I think El Paso have more juice going into this, into this game. So I'm going to edge it for them 1-0.
1: Uh, 1-0 based off that. The one thing for El Paso is they have they have an absolutely like electric team they brought in in a sense that um Amando Moreno, Justin Dillon, you know, Jamali Waite, uh but I think one of the more underrated signings, Lucas Stofer. Yes, absolutely. Hundred percent. He is a guy that will one of get the up, best
0: fullback signs.
1: Yes, hundred percent. With with Las Vegas as well. I mean, you know, you can't really it's not often you say that Las Vegas have like uh you know I'm not taking a jab at them by any means, but and it's been fist pumps the air, but um it's like that's a great get for them regardless. Um it's it's something that they needed, I think, on on the outside. Um wherever he plays, of course. Um he has a full back, of course. But really, for them, even if they lose this match, I'm not at all concerned. I think I, I personally have predicted them to finish fifth in the West. I believe. I think I'm, if I'm not correct. So, yeah, it, it's it is looking up in in El Paso, regardless, and they very well could, uh, you know, just ruin my prediction and you know score like three past Hartford or whatever. So, um, but I am. I'd say it's like a 90, I'd say it's maybe a 95% chance that they win against Hartford. I'm going for the 5%. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, that may, that may be a bit high. That may be a bit high.
0: Yeah. I wouldn't put it past Hartford to concede. They did They did a pretty good job at conceding uh, more than three goals last year on opening day. You'll remember that fondly.
1: Yeah. I, I do. I do remember that fondly, but they have a, I mean, they have a new back line again, to be mm-hmm. fair, but, I rate that back line a lot more. I mean, to be fair, we were high on Kaveh Rod, and, and them guys, but um, again. they they do have pretty ex- a pretty experienced back line now. So, um, and I, I think it it fits it fits the bill pretty well for what Hartford are trying to do. Yeah, and we've proven back line, which I don't
0: think you can understate enough. We've talked endlessly. Uh, we bring up so many past points, but it's because they're always applicable. You know. This is a vastly different league just from MLS, just from USL League One. If you bring in players who are, aren't at least acclimated to a US playing style league, it's going to be difficult. So that takes into account uh, a little bit. But someone for El Paso I want to hit on, Randon Craig, um, probably one of the... I won't go as far as to say one of the best center backs automatically coming down, but he is easily one of the top playmaking center backs um, in the USL. Coming down, of course, from the Philadelphia Union, their academy is always producing. It's always stacked. So many um talents either playing abroad for them or just down here in the USL Championship. And Brandon Craig actually looks like someone who will – grow into a mls level player into a european level player and the el paso locomotive are now sitting on a gem with that back line that consists already of martin and noah dollenmeyer and i'm also very high, high on Meyer. he might be my cave of last year hopefully he doesn't pan out as
1: as bad i don't think he'll pan out as bad no. because he already he already showed to be absolutely really good last season and he was someone that El Paso needed to retain to make sure that they had a similar back line in place for the season. But in terms of Brandon Craig, he also put the ball in the back of the net as well. He scored three goals, also had four assists with with Philadelphia Union and MLS Next Pro, um, and also started a lot for Philadelphia Union too. So they're getting a guy with first-team experience, albeit in MLS Next Pro, but nonetheless, it's something you – you want in your team, a, a relatively experienced young player who can, um, you know, put, put in a good shift and has, you know, some experience on the back line there. Definitely very high on Brandon Craig. Definitely very high, at least myself,
0: on the El Paso locomotive. I think it's time for a quick break. And we're back. All right, heading into our third game. This one's going to throw everyone off a little bit. And I'm going here more towards what this game means for these teams, um, heading into day one. And Going based off that, I'm going with Miami FC versus the Colorado Springs switchbacks. Miami has a franchise. Have a lot to prove. These next couple of months, in terms of how plausible is it that they keep going, and does this philosophy work that is leading them into a monumental part of their short history under new coach Antonio Nocerino? Lot of faith in younger signings. Very very few signings that they have brought in are, I would say, league proven. You bring in players like Frank Lopez and Andrew Booth, who have been around the league for a while and are acclimated to it. Everything else besides that is pretty much just a chance on a young player coming over pretty much um, internationally as well. A lot of, I know there's been a couple of jokes, a lot of Italian signings. It is a big ask that this team go out on day one against the switchbacks and get a result especially because you turn the whole roster over now you're bringing in it's basically like another expansion season you know it's another inaugural season for Miami it feels like but if they get it right if this works out This has the opportunity with a good season to really expand them in terms of presence in the Miami area where they are already dominated. They could do something huge here if they get it right and can pull out a win um, on day one. And when I look at the switchbacks, I'm more going here because – Another year under James Chambers, and it feels like they're going – first of all, they have a lot of their core coming back, I have to say. Um, Players like Matt Mahoney, Yairo Enriquez, who've been around for a while. Jonas Fjellberg showed a great promise with the Indy 11. Very interested to see how he continues here. Speedy Williams, and then players like Juan Tejada, who we know to be very creative, very bullish going forward. Feels like they are just continuing to grow. Um, Coa Santos and Ian Roca, the duo from 99 that we are so high on. Um, and then you look at Ronaldo Damas. And you're like, there's your forward piece that gets you goals. Now that you've lost Romario Mario Williams. You've lost Aaron Wheeler. You've lost to Shane Beckford, who was really um, helpful up there. This feels like a... Opportunity, if we're going based off opportunities, for the switchbacks to dominate from the get-go. I oh, know they did last year, um, or I believe it was 2022 or 2023, where they started off really hot. Um, but they have an opportunity to do that again, at the very least, and actually build a Western conference winning season. Uh, and I think that all starts with this game, as does Miami's future. Um, starting with this game so if i had to put a scoreline on this being realistic my head is telling me to go four nil switchbacks but my heart is telling me to go three two switchbacks i think miami fc lose it but i think they're creative enough um and i think this project does show promise to where they get two goals and they keep
1: it close the road in the USL, especially, I mean, it's not technically cross country traveling, is it? But going to the East coast, um, you know, to Florida, to Miami, it would be, it would be a good three points if Colorado pulled it out. But I think it's as well, it's the perfect storm in a sense for Colorado, it right? Is. You have a Miami side, which has been stripped. It's, almost bare bones from what um it was last season and what it has been seasons prior. There is some talent there. There is, um, you know, they have a lot of young players and I think uh, Nosarino as a head coach has a promising future in a sense, but I don't see it necessarily for them. And so again, with it being the perfect storm for Colorado, I'm going to give a goal to Miami, but I'm going to go for a 3 1 switchbacks win. Oh, you're only. That's okay. I thought you were going to go like 4 so. <laughs> 1. I mean, 3 1, 4 1. I don't. I, What's the deal? Maybe, maybe maybe Miami pull one back in like the, the 70th minute or whatever. But um, I just think the switchbacks are just have too much quality on the day um, with Renato Damas And. And them and them guys there on that side and the in them black and blue so yeah switchbacks three mammy one
0: yeah and one last thing for me on switchbacks is that they've actually been able to um, get some talent get some youth from Rapids 2 which I think is very big um, not only in just growing the game growing the game in Colorado or Colorado Springs it also gives them access to you know youth players obviously not every youth player, hands-out MLS-wise, but could be a perfect opportunity for them to already know um, the organization in the situation with their USL team. And you look at a player like Yuzuke Anya, who's coming down from uh, Rapids 2, could be a player that in a couple years doesn't necessarily work out with the Rapids. You can see him back with switchbacks. So I think that's also a big connection to make. And I think Miami uh, lose out mainly because there's so much soccer in Florida bigger than them that they don't have access to all the best loan opportunities um, that other teams have, maybe trying to get on the level of San Antonio's (laughs) San Antonio's loans.
1: Yeah. And I I also say this, the danger man in a sense, or well, I guess I want to go out on a limb and say the only danger man, maybe for Miami, but he is going to be their talisman. I think for this season, Frank Lopez, Frank Lopez coming from Rio Grande Valley. It's, He's a, he's a good player. He's a good player up top. And, well, that's the only person I'd really necessarily be concerned about if, if you're a Colorado. As long as you can keep him in check, I struggle to find where the goals are going to come from in this match for Miami, being that it's going to be a lot of these players' first game in the USL championship, and they may very well not be used to the physicality, the speed, the um, the pace at times of it. So... Yeah, for for Miami, they just need to find a way to maybe get some marquee wins this season and kind of stay relevant in a sense, right? So, but of course, we wish them all the best, and we want them to stay in this league no matter what. Yeah.
0: I do. the The main goal is that Miami FC stay for years to come. But if we're all being realistic, at the rate that they're going, if they don't get something special this year or something resembling something promising going forward, I think it is going to get to a point where it's like, you know, what do we do here? And you have sporting jacks coming soon, which does give the USL another Florida team. Um, I wouldn't say they're notably lacking in teams in Florida, but, you know, that's whatever. But Miami FC, their options are slowly closing, and I think, the players might know that, even though, again, they are not necessarily really attached to Miami FC at this point. Um, But I think it will resonate a bit with them. Um, the manager, definitely, because you want managing jobs at this point um, to be somewhat stable and long term. So, you know, he's got this pressure on his shoulders that's like this season needs to be good. And you have a front office that has to answer to not a lot of great seasons. um especially last year, of course, and, you know, going forward. So that's why I think Miami will have a little bit more going into this game, but I do think that talent-wise, the switchbacks edge it. Anyone can say that, I think.
1: Yeah, 100%. So it's just, it's just for Miami because – I, I feel like, you know, the the rivalry that they have with Tampa Bay, I also don't want that to fizzle out because I mean if you, you look at like rivalries in England with like I guess Leicester and uh Coventry, it's the N sixty nine Derby for a reason. You know, anytime you name a rivalry uh after a road, you know, it's I, I, I like it personally, you know. So you could practically, if there was a rivalry name with Miami or uh, Tampa Bay, you can name it after like a certain highway in Florida. You don't necessarily get that anywhere else in the USL, right? Um, So I don't want that to go away necessarily. And like I said, again, hopefully they stay around for a while. But like you said, they need to get – some positiveness almost in a sense going for them absolutely i think it's funny you brought up naming rivalries before we go
0: to something else i'm reminded um of rhode island and hartford tweeting out what the name of their rivalry should be which is just so funny it's like you're so new that you don't understand how (laughs) i wouldn't say like normal soccer fans but like Hard into the culture, soccer fans would be like, you know, just let it come naturally. So anyway, I was just thinking about that.
1: Well, I'll say this before we kind of move on to the next topic. I guess moving back to me hating on MLS. Well, not me hating on MLS, but it's a, it's a it's the same thing. They did not allow that El Tráfico to develop naturally. They gave that gave they gave it that name from the jump start, right? It's El Tráfico right away. They don't allow it to not naturally develop. But I think of the USL, I think hopefully, fingers crossed, you know, they'll go about it the right way and let it naturally develop, right? Which is which is what it should be. That's just how it should be.
0: It definitely is um how it should should be. I was just thinking back, I was like, I don't know why I pulled this out anyway lot of transfers going on in the past couple of weeks. Obviously, we can get to cover um, any last week. So there are some new ones added. Particularly, the one added is, of course, Solomon Asante. Um, heading to the Las Vegas Lights. But we'll uh, go a little broader here. Who are the creators? Who are the forwards? The big attacking pieces. Heading to new teams of note, you have... Juan Torres heading to Charleston. Talked about him a little bit. Said how special he might be going forward. Um, And then you have Joe Jiao also heading to the Las Vegas Lights. Uh, And you have Edison Ascona joining the Las Vegas Lights this year. You're seeing a little pattern. It's because the Lights have actually signed players. Third little jab there. (laughs) How how to get it in.
1: Yeah, I mean, of course... Maybe we've been lacking a little bit on transfers as well. But, of course, when that patch comes and when we're lacking on transfers, Las Vegas decides to release all our signings all at once. But, yeah, I think in general for Las Vegas as well, they're building a good base. And in the grand scheme of things, when you're talking about rebuilding a team, you need backing from your owner and then you need a competent front office person in that role. Right. So really for them, they have those two currently and the results are showing they're getting really high quality players, I think for the USL. And I don't think it's without, you know, a shout that they could give teams a game at Summerlin, but Regardless of that, I think as well, one of the more underrated signings for them, Austin Wormell, because at, there, there was a time when this guy was discussed as potentially one of the best young up-and-coming keepers in the USL. And then last season, Michael Nelson comes in, takes the job from him, right? And we didn't hear a lot from him necessarily, in a way. As opposed to the year prior to this last one, or the season prior to this last one where he did play quite a bit and was the main number one. He goes to a Vegas team that kind of was in dire need of a keeper. Leo Diaz was good, but I thought it was pretty solid, but in yeah. But in general, you get a guy like Austin Wormell, who is extremely experienced with the USL relatively experienced at least. um, And he's a really good shot stopper, even for his size, which is pretty short at least, but um, really for Vegas, they have that skeleton, that spine now, and players like Joe Jao, um, and Ricky Alba, it's just kind of the beginning of what's to come for Vegas. I, I hope, and we hope at least.
0: Yeah. I, they definitely still have six or seven more signings in the locker. At least the squad is still really thin, but like you said, Austin Mel. Good start in goal. Emre Clemente, Fabian Garcia at the back. Absolutely fantastic center back duo that you're starting with. Then you move up. You get players like Edison Ascona um, to create from the field. And then you get forwards like Ricky Alba, Solo Asante, and Joe Jiao. It's all coming together. Just need to add a couple more pieces in some starting starting positions. Um, fill out the depth. And then you have a team who could at least compete. Um in the first season, as opposed to last year, where they're finishing like under 25 points or however much it was. And then Juan Torres moving in with the Charleston battery, big shoes to fill. He's already five years older than uh, Fidel Barajas at 22 years of age. So kind of starting a bit older, Charleston going for a bit now method, which makes sense. Um, It does seem like they're in win-now mode with the signings that they made this year. And Juan Torres, I would say, feels like an underrated piece and could be the star piece this season. Because, you know, you go out and you spend money on someone. You know, they receive a transfer fee for Fidel Brajas. Seems like they turned around a little bit and made good and put actual money into this. So I think... I think Torres could be absolutely huge for the battery, more so than other people may think.
1: Yeah, and it seems like as well he's fitting in like a, you know, like a round peg in a round hole. I guess you could say, um, like perfectly, because he has scored. I think it's either one or two goals this preseason so far, and one of them was, I, th- I think it was a worldie, I want to say it looked. It looked like a shot from outside the box. I couldn't necessarily tell it was, it was from a ways out necessarily, but I think as well, um, Charleston, they needed to go out and get that, that X factor, almost the guy who can turn half chances into goals, right?
0: Pull it all together.
1: Who can pull it all together. They need that Fidel Barajas from last season where he could shoot from, like, outside the 18 on the right side and put that ball into the back of the net, top bins, top corner, right? De- Juan David Torres may not do that all the time, potentially, but he can certainly do it. And for Charleston, again, they needed to get that that person um into their squad after losing a guy like Fidel Bras, So it's a really big signing of that aspect for, for Charleston. I think in general that attack is looking pretty good again, I'd say.
0: Do you think with this roster, Charleston hit 70 goals plus with the output oh, that they have? What do they
1: what did they hit last season?
0: Oh goodness. Here you think about that, I will
1: check. That just came to me from the spot. But, yeah, I I think it's like um, it kind of also sometimes depends on how you defend in a way. If you have a lot of positivity in a sense that you have a lot of the ball, kind of like how Charleston do sometimes, going forward, you can be that much more of a threat. And when you lose games and you go down in games like quickly, 1-0, 2-0, 3-0 then 4-0, no, then 5-0, then 7-0, no, like they did against San Antonio, you're not going to score. <laughs> it's as simple as that. So, I don't think it's too far of a shot to potentially say that Charleston would eclipse 60 goals, maybe. 70, maybe a bit of a stretch. Because losing guys like Augustine Williams and Fidel Brajas are just that huge, in a sense, like it's going to be so hard to replace a lot of their goals. Right. Um, of course, depending on how many they scored last season.
0: So the batters scored 57 goals last season.
1: So, okay, so, so I, I, I would probably go out and say they wouldn't score 70 goals this season. Um, but I think 60 is potentially a shout. If they, if they, if they scored 57 last season, um, it just depends on whether other people can step up, which I'm gonna go out of the limb and say yes, because Ben Pierman can put players in situations where they can score a goal and put it in the back of the net. Right. You know? See, so
0: I think I do think they will get close. Um something just came to my mind. I think things will Pierman will get it right. I think he is obviously he's shown even just with one season with Memphis and then with the battery uh, that he is capable of building a roster or at least adhering to the roster that the front office built. If he doesn't have some sort of say, I think he's identified his replacements. Well, I think that they could get close. That's, that's going to be another big take. I think Charleston uh, hit over 70 goals this year. We'll have that be one of the, one of the top takes for today. day.
1: Yeah, and again, I, I don't think it's too far of a shout. No. Just where do they get those other goals is the real question. Yeah, necessarily. Um, I think Chris Chris Allen potentially and Aaron Malloy are, but particular in particular, Aaron Malloy, I'd say as well, because he's a guy who, if you give him a set piece, roundside the eighteen good luck because he very well could be going top bins at least 50% of the time. He's that good from outside the box. So Aaron Malloy, in a sense will be big as well.
0: Absolutely. Aaron, Aaron Malloy is one of the best playmakers in the league, but talking about midfielders, we have Chris Weehan um, done season ending injury, subsequently released by New Mexico United. We added that in because that is one of the biggest uh, stories heading into the season. Um, Damian Rivera coming in on loan from the New England Revolution to the Tampa Bay Rowdies. And then the big one, uh, Kevon Lambert, coming down from RSL on loan to San Antonio FC. Wehan is a massive creative and defensive loss for New Mexico United. Damian Rivera is going to be that like final attacking mid-piece that the Tampa Bay Rowdies needed. He's already playing in preseason. It seems like he's included in first team plans, um, at least starting the season for the Rowdies. And then Kevon Lambert, San Antonio get one of the best defensive mids that the USL has ever seen, one of the most loyal defensive mids uh, that the USL has ever seen before he headed to RSL and Salt Lake. These are all big subtractions or additions, either way you look at it. But I think the biggest one here has to be Yvonne Lambert.
1: Yeah, I, I think... So I actually think it's close between two. I think it's uh, either Kevin Lambert or Chris Weehan. And I think Chris Weehan, even in a way, potentially could be even bigger. What he means to that team, what he means to that community, um, just a just such a massive figure for New Mexico United, People. such a, yeah, such a, um, in, inreplaceable, I think, in a sense, there's just, there's just no player like him that New Mexico co- could go out and get and have that, that same connection with the community, but then fit in the way he did in that system for, uh, for New Mexico United, that, that team, he was a goat. He was a goal getter. He was, uh, he was a person who could, who is, who has been there, done that, that type of thing. Um, And so I think for that, for New Mexico United, they're going to miss a lot this season with a lot of teams around them, you know, getting those difference makers, those experienced playmakers. Um, And again, I don't think it's too far of a shout. They'll struggle because they've also brought in a lot of new players as well. Um, So, but also Kevin Lambert, is big as well because with Phoenix rising he was as you said quite easily one of the best defensive midfielders. I mean the guy the guy was just incredible. He's an absolute as as the kids say nowadays, he got that dog on him, right? <laughs> um so really it's gonna be weird seeing him in San Antonio in a San Antonio kit, but I'm kind of excited for it. I can't lie. For, for him to be back in the USL championship. Um, man, it's, it's, it's exciting days in that sense.
0: Absolutely. Because it's too like San Antonio now moving into a position where they're signing players. Uh, he is of course on loan, um, but they're also rounding out their roster with actual permanent signings. And, you know, they've got to where they are pretty much on the backs of these loan signings and you're looking at players More specifically, I'm going forwards here, but you can look all over the field. Taney Oluisei and Samuel Adeneron. Two of the, first of all, Samuel Adeneron is one of the best strikers of the ball I've ever seen, but that's it for a different day. Um, Two dangerous forwards who just, it seems like all they did was cause havoc. Adeneron could get through any slot that you left him open and find a shot from any angle say he was speedy. He was clinical. He knew how to work the defense. Kevon Lambert also knows how to work the defense just from a bit deeper. Um, and that is crucial when you lose some CDM players like Rita Zoo here, who were also pretty solid at that. He also contributed his goals. You're not going to get that with Lambert, but you will get a solid DM presence every game. And then Chris Wehan, like you said, you're losing a stable piece of your team who's been around for so long, um, and it makes this an even bigger transition period. You know, I believe first full yeah first full season under Eric Quill, a lot of pieces gone who have been around the team for a while. Kind of instating a new court, it feels like Mark. I I'm particularly fond of Marco Muscolato. Feels like he could be that main focal point this year, um, but they are. It this could be like a era defining, uh, injury possibly, uh, retiring. They are still supporting him. Um, as he gets it like, gets better, um, heals up. So we'll see how that, um, goes into this problem. But, the, the, the more I look at it, the more I do think that they are comparable.
1: Yeah, I just think like he what he shattered his kneecap again i think it was i believe so yeah. so like i don't know i feel like that's something um it's not kind of like a acl in a way where it could potentially happen again but if it does happen again the setback from it well, is sure. It'll it'll be more. Yeah. It'll be it'll be a much longer time to come back. Um, not to mention they probably were paying him a lot of money, but that's kind of, you know, just it is it is what it is. He's a club legend. He deserves that, right? But it's it's probably in a situation what's best for the club and what's best for him, because he kind of recognizes that the club needs to go out and get pieces and he can't be sitting on the bench for a full season again with an injury like that. And so I think that shows also a lot of unselfishness on his part. He could have very well said, no, I want to stay with the club. And, you know, uh, I, I'll I'll go to another team once I've recovered. But he very well could, once he's recovered, come back, and New Mexico United have another quality player again, right? So I think in that sense he's again he's just such a legend and it's very sad and disappointing for any USL fan that has followed the league for a long time uh that he's not going to be around this season
0: yeah and i think that going forward like like you said he is aging as well so that makes this injury a bit more difficult because you know these were kind of his po- most likely final seasons um and now injury does he still have that fire to come back, try and come back for another season, if his body allows. Um that is something I'm also also interested in to see if he even if he considers retirement following this or if he thinks he can still go um for another season. So got our transfers now. We're gonna take a look back. Like he said, we've missed quite a few. I'm gonna run through the list here. There's two that I specifically want to hit on. I'll hit on all of them for a little bit, though. Kendall McIntosh, goalkeeper heading into San Antonio. I really like that. Um, San Antonio, of course, lose Jordan Farr. Um, one of the best goalkeepers in the league. You have to replace that somehow. McIntosh has MLS experience, MLS Pro experience. I believe USL Championship experience as well with Sporting Kansas City, too. So get someone who's accustomed to every part of the game. Is a bit small, though. um Not Really, what you want for your goalkeeper, I would say, Willie Dukubo, good center back, heading to Memphis from San Antonio. We know how that San Antonio defense works. We know what it's capable of. Um, Aiden Roca, heading from Loudon to Colorado Springs. We hit him on, hit on him a lot. I feel like recently, but it's just worth pointing him out again that he was recently acquired. Um, and then Jacob Erlinson from uh, Columbus, LAFC, El Paso games with all of them, uh, or no, sorry. Jacob Erlinson from Columbus Crew 2 to Loudoun United. I was reading something else, so I was so confused. Um, but Jacob Erlinson from Crew 2 to Loudoun United. I think that's one of their core center back pickups that they're starting with. They also loaned in Keegan Hughes recently, um, kind of forming a Columbus Crew connection at the back, which is ironic. <laughs> um, but I think Erlinson at his age, will be a key contributor already to this team. And then the main two, Kendall Burks, heading from Chicago to San Antonio on a permanent. And then Justin Rasmussen uh, from Portland to Oakland. Both defenders, we'll start with Kendall, provides a young option at center back for San Antonio. Will he fit the picture, though? I'm not too sure. Coming down from MLS.
1: It's an interesting signing for sure. Um, Because he split time with uh, Chicago Fire 2 and then Chicago Fire. He's a guy who is going to need experience. And certainly the USL can provide that, of course, You know, And I feel like this has kind of almost been... I don't know if it's a theme this offseason, but it feels like there's been a lot more loans from MLS to USL than there has been in the past, in a sense. And it feels like a lot of them as well have been sort of defensive-minded, in a sense, um, because you kind of look at what the MLS is trying to do, in a sense. They're trying to develop young defenders to compete with all the dps they have in the mls nowadays and so in terms of what that means for usl uh from the perspective of a young defender who is really looking to improve in his game like kendall burks is he is um he is a good signing in that sense to where he's not going to like slot in for a guy like Fabian Garcia. There's no way Fabian Garcia is kind of irreplaceable. I'd go out on him to say, but he's, he's someone for the time being for the future. And in a sense, he provides a good option at the back for San Antonio. I'm, I'm really interested to see where he slots in in a sense. So,
0: I think I honestly think he starts. To be honest, uh, that could be a bit bold, but I think he does start. And then Justin Rasmussen from Portland to uh, to Oakland, good fullback signing. I actually really like this fullback signing. We know Oakland like to incorporate their fullbacks a lot um, going forward. Also, a very standard team, I would say going forward. So I wonder how Rasmussen fits in coming down from a team. Like Portland, but for Oakland after losing some defensive pieces this year, like Emma Clemente, like Danny Barbier, to then go in and get Camden Riley and Justin Rasmussen, it's huge. It really, I mean, we talked um, off camera about Oakland's kind of lack of going out, but they feel comfortable with what they have. They've replaced what they needed, and it feels like Camden Riley and specifically Justin Rasmussen could be an upgrade on some of those defensive options.
1: Yeah, I think... Okay, so I, I really like the signing for Oakland. Um, I think in terms of the fullback spots, they're going to be super solid. And that's great. But at times it felt like last season they didn't necessarily have an X-factor. They didn't have an... Okay, to be granted, Otar Magnus Carlson scored mainly penalties. But he scored 22 goals for crying yeah. out loud. And then they didn't really properly replace him and that was a huge huge talking point going into this into that season last season for oakland how were they going to replace a 22 per goal or a 22 goal scorer on the season how are they going to replace him and they didn't and down the line down the stretch of the season it really showed so i like what oakland did in a sense but they only added five players and didn't really add anyone else. And UR Pelias didn't necessarily work out as well up top. I feel like that's the area they needed to address. I don't know if they have or not.
0: Mish Nader Cherry is a very intriguing signing up top. I just don't know how that's going to fit. Oakland have gone hot and cold with these striker signings, But Rasmussen does really intrigue me. So does Niall Lowe. That intrigues me a lot, too. It feels like a brand... It's It really is a brand-new uh, back three for Oakland, which could also bring its certain set of challenges, you know?
1: I think, in a sense, as well, the signings that Oakland have gotten have a lot to prove, in a sense. Niall Logue has a lot to prove after last season, I think. Having the captain's armband stripped from him, um, he needs a good season to almost get back on track, in a way, because he was pretty decent with Memphis, I mean, it's it's that's not a I'm it's not a stretch in saying that that's for sure, mm-hmm. because under Ben Pierman, he he excelled in that system, so and of course Sherry I I do like the signing, you know I think it's Violet FC that he comes from if I'm not correct, um, but again, Oakland got a guy like Anywar Palias last season and it didn't work out. I'm intrigued. In a sense, to see how it works out this season, um, it could go one way. Or another.
0: Absolutely, had to get our, had to get our Oakland segment in there, at the end. So that is going to do it for today's episode. Of course, like we said at the top, thank you guys for all the recent support. It's been fantastic. We're so excited, um, heading into these next couple weeks, and finish off. Leave you off with a little lift hanger, if you will, something you'll be drawn. We will have in the next week or two, a double episode week. So you can look forward to that. We'll see you next week.